0: He's big and strong, he's sad and mad, and a little bit funny. You are listening to The Crash Program. Welcome to Season 2 of The Crash Program. I'm your host, Crash Berry. Season 2, a.k.a. Tough Island, is where I tell stories about living on Maine's most remote inhabited island. The Crash program is commercial-free, thanks to listener support via Patreon, where five bucks a month gets you all sorts of perks, including a limited edition Mary Margaret sticker and access to a Patreon-only audio collection of stories from my time in the U.S. Coast Guard fighting the war on drugs and the war on Haitian refugees. Plus, after six months, you'll receive a signed copy of my novel, Sex, Drugs, and Blueberries, or the print version of Tough Island. Ten bucks monthly gets you the stuff I just mentioned, plus an invite to a really fun annual meetup in Maine. Visit CrashBerry.com for all the details. Now, on to the program. Chapter 3 the wind caused the fish shack to shudder on its pilings. It was a dark and stormy night at the end of March 1991. Two weeks before, my pal Alex was pistol-whipped by Deputy Gerald Day. On this evening, Alex and I were hanging out in his shack, located one wharf to the south of my room in Captain Donald's shop. We were smoking weed, (laughs) drinking whiskey, and playing cards. I'm gonna get that bastard, gonna get him good, Alex said, wincing as he touched his still bandaged head. What are you gonna do? You'll see, Alex said, picking up the axe, leaning against the wall. Then he opened the door and walked into the screeching wind. I finished my drink and followed, but when I stepped outside, Hey Alex, where'd you go? I didn't see him. So I decided just to head back to my cot. Had to be up at 4.30 a.m. in order to haul with Captain Donald. The next morning, in the pre-dawn blue light, Captain Donald and I were aboard the dotted Eye, getting ready for a long day of hauling traps. When Captain Donald spotted the deputy's 20 foot lobster boat aground on a nearby ledge, sitting high and dry with a hole in her hull. I imagined Alex in his skiff the night before, cutting the mooring with his axe. and then probably giving the deputy's boat a push towards the ledge, whacking at it once or twice or thrice, as the screeching wind covered the sound of his axe making the hole. No chance he'd get caught. No evidence to leave behind. No witnesses either, that's for sure. And since nearly everyone on the island hated Deputy Gerald Day, Dorothy, Pierre, Lady, Wes, Victor. The list of suspects would be long. Susie, Brenda, Buzz, Billy, Bobby, Buddy, and Alex. And the attack on Gerald Day's boat was the start of the concerted effort to rid the island of the deputy. <laughs> The deputy got run off the island on a beautiful spring day, about a month after the pistol whipping of Alex. Since attacking Alex, he'd gotten the cold shoulder from every islander. No one waved at him on the road. Or acknowledged him at the post office. Hello there. Can I get my mail, please? Or the store. Next, please. His kids, a pair of goofy, bearded, homeschooled teenage boys, were cruelly mocked. Get off the island! The worst harassment, however, occurred under the cover of darkness. Someone poisoned the deputy's geese and threw a bucket of black oil paint on his white truck. Rumors circulated of shots being fired at his house but no bullet holes were visible. Everyone knew the deputy was leaving on the next ferry. The sheriff had decided not to replace him. Replacing Deputy Gerald Day. The short-lived Matinicus law enforcement experiment was over. The deputy spent his last week on Matinicus packing boxes and nailing big sheets of plywood painted dayglow orange over his windows. And on the morning of the ferry's visit, a bunch of us gathered for a going-away party at Benny and Paul's Fish House, which had a bird's-eye view of the steamboat wharf, a couple hundred feet away. The guest of honor, Knox County Sheriff's Deputy Gerald Day, was not invited due to the weed and booze. Gerald Day was busy, anyways. When the ferry arrived, minutes before high tide, the deputy jumped aboard and climbed into the cab of a large U-Haul rental truck, first in line for disembarking. When the ramp came down, the truck raced off. His wife and kids, who'd taken the ferry from Rockland, were crammed in the front seat alongside him, and the truck bounced and sped to their house in the center of the island. Less than an hour to pack that big friggin' truck. That's Brenda. Alex's 40-year-old mother, Give me some bitch whiskey. who was already slightly tipsy because of her third Alan's Coffee Brandy and Milk. Better hurry, you son of a bitch, better hurry. Fairy, don't wait for nobody. I almost hope the bastard misses the boat. And that's Pierre, Alex's stepdad, who also happened to be one of the island's assessors, which, on the mainland, would be called selectmen or town councillors. Imagine the friggin' late fees if that truck stays on the island for an extra month! (laughs) Ha 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 ha! I just want the bastard gone! Brenda said, shaking her head. Friggin' cop! The party continued. We all drank booze and smoked pot and got higher and higher, watching the ferry, wondering if the deputy was gonna return in time. Oh, look. The bastard made it back. Yay. Luckily for Gerald Day, he made it with a couple of minutes to spare. Oh! Oh! Well, at least we're going to be rid of him. Good riddance to bad trash. Friggin cop. The whole family climbed out of the truck and lined up against a gunwale for a final look at the island. Standing on Benny and Paul's roof deck, I watched them through binoculars, and I thought I could see the relief on their faces. The party grew louder and louder. There was raucous hooting and hollering as Brenda and Pierre unfurled a banner. Pierre, in his role as selectman, had the only personal computer on Matinicus, and the banner was made with a dot matrix printer on an eight-foot-long piece of tractor-fed paper. And it read, F*** you, Gerald Day. F*** you, Gerald Day. F*** you, Gerald Day. F*** "F you, Gerald Day. The crowd chanted, Gerald Day, f*** you. F*** "F you, Gerald "Gerald "Gerald Day. Gerald Day, 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 f*** you. Sounded like a song, almost. F*** you, Gerald Day. Gerald Day, Day, f*** "F you. Or a mantra or a chant by a cult? I took another look at the deputy and his family through the binoculars. They seemed puzzled. From their vantage point, the banner was too small to read and they couldn't see the many middle fingers or the lone moon from a fat, drunk islander either. And the rumble of the ferry's diesel engines muted our chant so they couldn't hear our song. And then the ferry left. (laughs) The party broke up soon after. Seems like this party is over. Brenda said, shaking her head. Friggin' cop wasn't even noon, and everybody was hammered. But now that the deputy was gone, the buzz seemed wasted. And while Matinicus was cleared of cops, it wasn't like all hell broke loose. Just no one gave a damn about marijuana. Oh, man, this is some great weed. Or drunk driving. Oh and the summer came and went without a bit of drama. The police stayed away. Word was they were scared. Ironically, many years later, Alex purchased the house where the deputy pistol whipped him. It was a sunny and warm spring day. A little bit after two in the afternoon, we were at the bait scow. I had just finished filling the bait box with salted herring, and Captain Donald just finished packing lobsters into crates and dumping the crates into the drink. Time to fuel up, Captain Donald said, but I want to change the clamp on this pump hose first. Tell you what, Crash. Why don't you give me a demonstration of your Coast Guard boating skills and bring us into the dock while I free around with this clamp? This was a big deal. Captain Donald occasionally let me take the wheel of the dotted eye, his 40-foot pride and joy. If we were out hauling and he needed to urinate or eat a sandwich, I'd drive her towards the next string of traps. But Captain Donald never let me have the helm in Matinicus Harbor. So while Donald messed around with a pump hose clamp, I put the boat in gear. And pushed the throttle forward a tiny bit, came about, and slowly chugged the 500 feet or so to his wharf which was the same dock that was also home to my outhouse that emptied into the harbor. The tide was halfway to high, and thanks to the hydraulic steering, the dotted eye was a pleasure to drive, even when just barely moving ahead. The workday of hauling was almost over. All that was left was to refuel and then put the dotted eye back on the mooring. And I was in a good mood. I'd earned a hundred bucks, and we were done early enough that there'd still be enough daylight and sunshine that I'd be able to relax outside. Smoke a joint or two. Have sips of Lord Calvert Canadian whiskey. Chased by ice-cold beer. Suddenly, my daydreaming was interrupted by reality. What the hell? Unbelievably, in between our moving boat and about 10 feet in front of Captain Donald's dock, sitting in the rising tide was a Volkswagen bus. That's right, a VW microbus. The harbor had already covered the tires and half of the van doors, and the ocean was now reaching for the handles, and I, behind the wheel of the dotted eye, was headed right towards the microbus, on a steady course to T-boning the motor vehicle for what might have been the first lobster boat and VW microbus collision in modern maritime history. Donald, hold on! There would have been a crash if I hadn't quickly taken evasive measures. Thankfully, the throttle was just barely ahead, so we weren't moving very fast, but the dotted eye still had plenty of forward momentum. And since boats don't have brakes, I grabbed the controls and slammed the engine directly in reverse, backing down hard. An emergency maneuver not recommended unless you really need to take action in a hurry. What in the hell? Captain Donald hollered. I looked astern. He was stumbling forward due to the rapid shift in directions. Boy, what the hell are you doing? I didn't want to hit the van, I said, pointing. What the frig? Donald said. What in the hell is Pierre's friggin' van doing in front of my wharf? Turns out Pierre, the upstanding island official, finally decided to clean up his dooryard. There's not a chance, so I'm gonna pay a hundred bucks to ship the vehicle on the ferry to have it junked on the mainland. Which meant getting rid of the VW bus that hadn't run in a decade... And had been cannibalized for all usable parts. So, earlier in the day at low tide, while we were underway hauling traps and making money, Pierre, along with help from some of his friends, Come on, towed, pushed Come on fellas, push harder. <laughs> push, push. Pushed, pulled, and rolled the bus down the Flakeyard Beach. Push Push, push, but they could only push it as far as the front of Captain Donald's wharf. I was hoping we'd get it a little further out. Well, I think we're stuck here for now. Then Pierre lashed a rugged piece of tow rope around the VW van and tied a small orange vinyl fender That should do it. to the end of the hauser. I'll come back at high tide and finish the job. Back aboard the dotted Eye, Captain Donald quickly realized what Pierre's plan had been. After all, as I would soon learn, Islanders often disposed of old cars in this manner. Donald wasn't mad at Pierre for his bus disposal technique, but he was pissed that Pierre's VW was blocking our access to the dock. Oh great, Captain Donald said. Now we're going to have to come back down later to refuel so we can go out to Hall first thing in the morning. Pierre has always been a pain in the ass. At high tide, Pierre returned in his brother-in-law's boat along with a couple of buddies to help with the job. They grabbed the buoy floating above the submerged van and pulled the Hauser aboard the lobster boat. All right, throw it over here. Give it to me. Throw it here. Take out the slack, Pierre told his helpers. Make that rope fast to the stern. They did as told and Pierre put the boat in gear and slowly pushed the throttle ahead as he pointed the bow in the direction of Indian Ledge and the breakwater. Come on, girl, he said. You can do it. Let's go now. Let's go. Come on, girl. And sure enough, the van on the harbor bottom followed Pierre and the lobster boat away from Captain Donald's wharf. Pierre then steered his way around the Indian ledge and out past the bell buoy, and then headed to the deeper water on the backside of the breakwater. A minute later, without ceremony, Pierre slashed the rope freeing the Volkswagen, which sank, and joined the other dead cars and trucks buried in the island's watery junkyard. Betcha there's 200 vehicles down there, Pierre said, rusting away in various states of decay. So on the backside of the breakwater, the old wrecks created an artificial reef. Now, in case you didn't know, artificial reefs are often constructed by sinking ancient steel ships and boats. And outdated railroad and subway cars. Before these items are abandoned in the sea, though, the plastic and glass and engines and oil and any other non-rustable materials are removed. In the case of Metinicus, however, you were lucky if the vehicle's battery was removed before being dragged to the auto graveyard on the backside of the breakwater. And the lobstermen avoided fishing in the area, and not just because of the oil and gas that seeped out of the submerged junks. They couldn't set traps there, obviously, because they'd be sure to get snagged on mufflers, or stuck in a trunk, or hung up by a smashed windshield. The lobsters love the graveyard during the warmer months, spending their time darting in and out of the vehicles, snoozing on rotting bench seats and discovering secret hideaways and glove boxes and wheel wells, safe from predators, temporarily, human, and aquatic alike. Like I said, Captain Donald wasn't angry with the way Pierre was getting rid of the Volkswagen. He was just outraged that Pierre had the audacity to leave the van in front of our wharf. I think it's fair to say that in the spring of 1991, Captain Donald didn't give a damn about the environment. Yeah, the ocean is my garbage can. There was no official town dump or recycling on Matinicus. A couple times a week, Captain Donald brought a paper bag of trash out to haul, mostly glass and tin, and tossed it overboard. And for years, he'd thrown plastic of all sorts into the sea. My damn grandkids guilted me into not tossing milk jugs and other plastic overboard. I'm glad they did, though. It's a hell of a lot easier to get rid of the trash in the burn barrel. That's right. Like many islanders, Donald and Mary Margaret burned paper, cardboard, and plastic in a 55-gallon steel drum in their backyard. Once a week, Captain Donald would light the trash ablaze, creating plumes of dark black smoke. (coughs) And the burnt stench lingered in the neighborhood. That smells terrible. Long after the fire was out. I don't smell nothing. Heavier items like kitchen appliances and furniture couldn't be burned in the burn barrel and were too cumbersome to lug down to the boat and out to haul for a burial at sea. I'm very happy with the new washing machine, Mary Margaret said. Donald is so thoughtful. Not really. I just wanted to stop hearing you complain every time you did laundry. So now I need you to get rid of the old one. Come on, boy, let's get this thing out of here. Captain Donald and I lugged her ancient washing machine out the front door. (laughs) Watch where you're going. Come on, boy, watch where you're going. Don't you dare scrape the door trim, or you'll be breaking out the paint and the paintbrush. We muckled the old washer machine out onto the front porch and down the front stairs and up into the back of Captain Donald's beat-up Chevy. Come on now, get in the truck and let's be quick about it. We've got other chores to do. It just took a couple of minutes to drive to the back side of the island, to steep banks, arguably the closest thing to a cliff on Matinicus. Come on boy, jump up there and push that damn thing off the stern. And I did as told. Roll it down there. He pointed to the long trails of rusting white and avocado green appliances and other bulky junk that reached past the tide line into the water's edge. All sorts of stuff down there. You see here washers, dryers, looks like a kitchen table, couple of stoves, an old sink, a couch, some filing cabinets, hot water tank couple of them. A bunch of old tires. looks like a couple bumpers there. What's that? A broken table saw. There's more than one toilet on the side of this hill and a couple bathtubs. A heap of garbage so distinct it was visible from a mile offshore. Thank you for listening, and remember, the Crash program is commercial-free thanks to listener support via Patreon, where 5 bucks a month gets all sorts of perks, including a Mary Margaret sticker, I'm sure you'd want that, and access to the Patreon-only audio collection from my time in the U.S. Coast Guard fighting the war on drugs and the war on Haitian refugees. And remember, be careful on Tough Island. He's big and strong. He's sad and mad